Support for A Life of Dogs is brought to you by Rex Beck's Dog Goggles. Rex Beck's Dog Goggles are eye protection designed specifically for your active and working dog. They provide protection from debris, sun exposure, and general eye trauma. To learn more about Rex Beck's, check them out on Instagram at Rex Beck's Canine or on the web at rexbex.com. And from Royal Canin. Royal Canin offers precise, effective nutrition for dogs based on size, age, breed, and to address specific needs. To learn more about Royal Canin, visit them on the web at royalcanin.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to A Life of Dogs. We're pretty excited about what we have in store as we're producing a double header for you. You see, we were working on this episode and decided that the content was just too good to cram into one. The first episode in this series explores the story of a dog chasing animals, not just for fun, but to create a safer environment for people. The second episode in the series follows the story of dogs chasing people to save the lives of animals in their environment. Our host, Chris Anderson, starts us off with Catching a Flight. the airport's dog. They use it for scaring away birds. <laughs> you must love that job. Right. It's a fairly common occurrence for a bird and a plane to collide. Recently, a Japan Airlines flight had to make an emergency landing due to a bird strike, while another commercial plane was forced to make an emergency return to Cardiff Airport in Wales after a bird hit an engine. Although rare, dogs trained to deter these incidents can be beneficial. This is a story of a man who got a dog from his friend, and the two began a journey of working together to help create a safer environment for people. They both did the work because they loved it, and as a result, became famous by accident. We start with Brian Edwards, who tells how the whole story began. Uh, I had met Pipe when he was two, and then I officially uh, um, got him when he was around five-ish. Although Brian didn't get Piper as a puppy, their bond quickly became strong. As Piper was raised on a farm and enjoyed a lot of freedom in his early life, he never had much leash training. Uh, that was our first sort of uh, foray into uh, any sort of training was just getting good on the leash. That's where our, uh, our bond started forming there. Walking on a leash quickly evolved into running races. Around the time that I officially uh, got Pipe, um, I was doing a lot of or uh, starting to train for um, running races, obstacle races. Uh, I can't remember exactly how many he did, probably around eight or so. And uh, we won every one of them. And so that was uh, really special. We did um, anything with him was all, except for one, was all uh, obstacle stuff. And then one of them was just a straight uh, fundraiser on 9K. Um, so I did as much as I could with uh, Pipe, and I really enjoyed that. Um, you know, the, it was always a lot more special to do anything uh, with Pipe, whether it was, you know, a mile or 50 miles. That really didn't matter. It was just uh, the fact that he and I were going out and uh, accomplishing something and um, doing really well at it. And, you know, after the first couple of races with, with Pipe, he um, 
he just knew what we were doing. He would just put his head down and, and run. And again, that was um, doing a lot of stuff, especially the obstacles was really uh, great for us um, because he was doing a lot of stuff that he hadn't seen before. And um, especially after the first couple of races, even if he would come up to an obstacle that he, that he didn't hasn't seen before, uh, he had the confidence because he was running uh, previous races um, that even though he didn't know exactly what it was, he wasn't, his hesitation uh, grew less and less through each race and his just confidence uh, soared. So that was really special for for me to see. That that year and a half of the training for the races and actually doing the races with and without him was, uh, was really special for the both of us. That's where uh, we would do uh, eventually where we would do some of the obedience training that we needed to do for, for the airport was during all that stuff. Their bond was growing and racing was fun, but Brian also had his job at the Cherry Capital Airport. So my job is uh, at this airport called an airport operations supervisor. I'm one of six, so I'm not the operations supervisor. Um, anyways, my function exists at pretty much every commercial airport in the world, just in different capacities and with different titles. Part of that responsibility is wildlife control. And I started at the airport in uh, January of 08. And shortly after I started there, uh, just because you're, you know, I'm now in aviation. It was my uh, first real job. You know, I just start reading about uh, different things that other airports are doing, um, you know, not specific to any one thing or just reading around. And I happened to stumble upon the Fort Myers Airport in Florida, who is uh, using a border collie for wildlife control or chasing away uh, waterfowl down there. That idea from Florida planted a seed in Brian's head, a seed that would later grow when Brian saw potential for that type of work in Piper. I had read about the use of border collies a long time ago, and after I got Piper, um, I just decided to, to give it a shot. I mean, it's pretty much as simple as that. So Piper got a shot at working at the airport. But there were a lot of jobs he still needed to learn. Really, what it amounts to is that um, we did one of two things. One is either react to wildlife, which would be if, you know, you had your Cessna and you're flying in and you see a, a flock of geese or something, um, you know, next to a taxi or wherever it might be, you would report that to the control tower. And then part of my responsibility during the day is to carry around the airport bat phone. It's just a complaint hotline. So, um the tower would then relay that to me, either call me or if I'm already out in the field, they would call me over the radio and let me know that. Um, and then, you know, if we were inside, I'd load pipe up into the into the truck and we'd go respond immediately to that area because that's a life safety issue. And um, he would deploy out of the vehicle, he'd jump out of the back seat. Uh, I always said it was like a, a missile launch. Uh, I always loved that part. And, um, you know, I tried to get him to see what he was going to chase first, obviously, because I wanted to have a, a radar lock, as it were, uh, before he uh, jumped out. Um, but even if he couldn't see it, like the snowy owl, it's really hard to see, you know, the white uh, bird up against a white background, typically with the snow. Um, just the way that we, we worked and we trained when we were at work, anytime he deployed, he didn't run perpendicular vehicle. He ran the direction the vehicle was traveling, so I just had to point the vehicle um wherever I wanted him to run, and he would just run at it, and then eventually pick up on movement, go ahead and, and chase it. Um, so that's one reactionary, and really that's um, 
a lower percentage of the time because, um, you know, wildlife is, is cyclical. You know, we could go a couple of weeks, especially if it warms up after the, you know, in the springtime, spring and fall or our busy times for waterfall, like uh, ducks and, and geese because it's wet and cool out. And then, um, as I mentioned, the wintertime was heavy snow owl, snowy owl action. And then the summertime turned into more of the, the rodents and uh, mammal chasing, uh, primarily foxes. Um, so reacting to stuff is actually a low percentage of the time. Most of what we did was try to be proactive. And when we're doing that, um, I would let him out of the vehicle and he would just... Um, he wasn't looking for birds at that point. He would go into his uh, his detection mode. Um, he wasn't trained to detect uh, bombs or drugs or any of that stuff, but um, he was really good at sniffing out moles and bulls and other varmints in the ground. And uh, the reason we would do that is uh, those are a food source for the larger predators. So um, wintertime, the snowy owls, summertime, hawks, which when they hunt, uh, typically they're hovering or not hovering but circling and a lot of times that's in the approach path of an aircraft or a helicopter and then uh those would also be um food source uh really good food source for foxes so uh by doing that um just being out on patrol did a few things for us first of all you've got a dog running around uh, which is discouraging for anything to land or anything to be out there i'm in the truck i've got the flashy lights going on um, so it's just having a presence out there is a plus. He's going after the moles and voles in the ground, and if he found one, he would dig it up. He had a really good nose, and he could he could dig like an excavator. But um, you know, a lot of times you're going up against a mole that already has a tunnel network built. So most of the time, they were a little bit quicker than he was, but uh, digging wise. But he got he got quite a few up over the. Uh, over the course of the three years that he was doing it. Um, but then also, if we have to react to something, we're already out in the field, and it's a lot quicker uh, for us to do that. So we try to be as proactive as as possible. But, um, you know, as you said, a lot of people don't think about um, trying to eliminate the, the food source. And that's the other part of the equation when you talk about wildlife control, is that it's not just going out and chasing uh, stuff. Because, um, you know, you and I could, could do that continually, but you have to do something that is going to... Um, try to eliminate them wanting to come back. And what Piper did was kind of twofold for us in that sense. One is uh, Piper um, was like a predator to the, the other animals. So um, border collies do something called a border collie stock where they, they're head low, their butt high, tail tucked, and have a very intense stare that's meant to emulate a predator. Um, so it's not just the going out and chasing stuff. We also have to do that to make the animals think that there's a predator in town. You know, Piper's non-lethal when it came to birds and all the other stuff. Um, but the animals don't know that because it's built in the, into their DNA to fight or flight, right? So no matter how many times Piper chases something, they're always going to run away um, because they think there's a perceived threat of danger, right? Uh, whereas um, a really great example is a snowy owl. Snowy owl gets really used to humans, and you wouldn't think so, but our big, um, we have huge plows in the wintertime for, for plowing our runways and taxiways, you know, uh, very loud, and one of our guys driving that thing could drive uh, within 15 feet of the owl, and it would just look at that thing driving by. Um, eventually, the owl would learn that Piper is coming out of this red. 
I couldn't get within 100 or 200 feet, even though they were, the owl was just passed by this gigantic plow. Um, and that's exactly what we wanted. We wanted the animals to learn that, that you know, Piper's a predator and you don't want to come back. Uh, that was the whole point. So that's part of it. And then the other part is modifying the habitat. And by what, what we're doing by having him uh, dig up the moles and voles and that stuff is, in essence, modifying the habitat because you're trying to get rid of the, the food source. So it's kind of a, uh, it's not just as simple as going out and, and chasing stuff. A lot goes into it. Uh, but that's really what we're trying to do. Uh, big picture is to make the airport as unattractive as possible um, via a lot of different methods to wildlife so they don't want to come back and be here. Piper loved his job so much that he did it for free. So, again, being a small airport, we don't have a lot of disposable uh, income. So this isn't something that uh, the airport, um, you know, probably would go out and, and purchase. You know, they might now because they, they've seen the value in it, you know. Uh, but especially going in cold, I don't think I could have walked into my boss's office said, here's a bunch of research papers that says border collies are effective. You want to bump down 10 grand on a dog and go for it? Uh, probably wouldn't happen because, again, we're, we're not a, a large airport that just has a, um, a lot of a lot more money than we do to kind of do stuff like that. Um, so I, I went into it knowing that that, that wasn't going to be compensated specifically for, for Piper's use, um, but I looked at it the whole time as like a, you know, a hobby. Um, I wasn't out house and home, obviously, because that wouldn't be, uh, that would be dumb. But um, though I wasn't compensated monetarily for his use, uh, I was compensated in the sense that I got to work with my best friend every day. So um, really can't put a price tag uh, on that. And I never knew, um, you know, before having Piper at work, what an impact he would have on me, uh, my fellow employees in our maintenance building, uh, the people around the airport. I mean, and obviously um, it ended up being an impact worldwide, but um, but just keeping it local, I never knew what, what that impact would be. So, um, you know, going into it, I wasn't going, uh, you know, I'm not getting paid for this. You know what, this is uh, not right. Uh, that wasn't it at all. You know, I wanted to, um, I was confident in, uh, his skills, and I wanted to bring him to work with me. Again, since he's my best friend, I mean, I, it, it was, there was no question. It wasn't about the money. It was all about uh, working with him. And then, um, you know, once we got into the into the groove of things, um, you know, I never once thought about uh, thought about the money because, again, here I am. As far as I'm concerned, I was the luckiest person in the world. Piper developed another role at the airport. For many, he quickly gained the title of. Chief Morale Officer. I was just being selfish. I wanted more. I wanted to work with my dog every day, right? So it wasn't something that I was. Well, I want to bring him to work because he's going to help with morale, and uh, you know, I thought that that might happen, but you know, you have no idea how, a how um, anything's going to go down because I've never done anything like this before. We've never done anything like this before at the airport. Um, so you have all these people that aren't used to having an animal around. Um, you know, and obviously not everybody is a is a dog person, which is fine. Um, so there's a lot of variables going into it, not just on the operational side, but, you know, and the other stuff that a lot of people think about is that Piper, this animal, dog, is going to be with these people for a lot, 10 hours, and we work four 10-hour shifts uh, a day. So how is he going to be received? I had no idea. Um, you know, I hoped well, but you just, you 
just never know until it until it starts. So as it as it progressed and we got into the got into the groove of things and you know um, he got used to the people at work and they got used to him. Um, it it morphed itself into like I said what we called the the chief morale officer. Um, you know he would we have this glass door and a really long sidewalk. Um, he knew what time of day it was and he, he knew he could expect people around this time during shift change and he would recognize people down the sidewalk and he would have his tail wagging like a propeller and whining, waiting for him, greeting people at the door. And we've got we've got a couple of uh, gentlemen um, in our building that aren't necessarily uh, dog people. Uh, not that they hate dogs, but you know don't have one of their own and would never have one of their own. But Piper um, was so well behaved, he didn't slobber, didn't jump on people, didn't do um, you know a lot of the stuff I think people don't like about dogs. Um, so. That became sort of a relief for me that he was accepted, and in the end, that was the um, kind of the greatest um, honor, or however you want to put it, for for me is that um, you know Piper became one of the guys. Piper often worked in extremely harsh conditions, and as such, he needed some special gear to keep him safe. Living and working in northern Michigan, we get all four seasons, and. Uh, some years it's a lot uh, harsher than others, but so first of all, border collies are are working dogs. They're meant to be outside. They're they're farm dogs. They're bred to herd sheep. Um, that's an outdoor function. It's not an indoor function. So uh, they've got a double coat. Um, they're, they're very well uh, suited to be outdoors and and handle the elements. And specifically, Piper, he had extremely he had an extremely thick double coat um that he he never got called and he got some shiver once and that was uh way before we started working when we were going on a couple hour hikes when it was negative temperatures out so he he was he was well suited for uh for this job and i think like a lot of dogs probably they just like being in the snow in the muck like being dirty so none of that stuff uh bothered him uh at all um but on the flip side, to try to uh, aid him in all that stuff, um, we had a couple of different things. One, I think that everybody pretty much knows him for is the uh, the goggles, the, the Rex Specs. Um, those are just a uh, general eye protectant, so they do a couple of things for him. They're uh, 100% UV protectant. Uh, dogs can get eye disease just like you and I can, um, so it protects his eyes from the sun, especially in the wintertime when you're getting all that uh, reflection off the, the snow and all that. And then obviously they act as safety glasses um, for the rain, wind, snow, uh, any of that. But when we were um, chasing after deer through the woods, um, he wore them so much, uh, he would use them as a tool to push stuff out of the way because he knew, you know, he could do that because it was protecting his eyes. Um, so there was one time I remember specifically I deployed him out after a, a deer that was in a field and um, he ended up chasing it into the woods and I had forgotten the specs that morning and um, he came back and he was bleeding just about a centimeter underneath it, one of his eyes and I said never again, you know, he will not ever be uh, deployed without the, the specs on. But it, it's stuff like that, you know, I mean obviously if that would have been in a different location to have taken his eye out, um, just, you know, you just don't, I don't 
up in the air. Our, our heads are, but they're way low to the ground, so they're much more susceptible to that kind of stuff. So the uh, the specs really uh, our biggest piece of equipment. I mean, it, it, they just really protect his eyes, and they they fit his head really well. It's a great product, and I mean, I have to obviously they uh, they look cool too. So they uh, rule number one. Not really, but rule number one has always looked cool. So um, yeah, the cool factor, but but in all reality, I mean, they. They're a great piece of equipment. They really protect his, his eyes. And then also we were donated a, uh, a vest um, that uh, really, its prime function was to help me uh, lift him up into the truck. And again, because Piper was a volunteer, I was, you know, we're, we weren't a formal uh, unit or anything, um, so I wasn't funded by the airport equipment-wise. So I just had to use whatever the, uh, the airport provided me for my job. And we, uh, we've been driving around Explorers for a long time. And so obviously I don't have a, uh, a canine kennel or a canine vehicle. Um, so it's just a regular seat in the back. And again, being a little bit older, uh, instead of having him jump up and down uh, all the time, I would lift him up with this handle that was on the vest. And uh, when he was bombing through the woods, it would give him a little bit of abrasion protection from the uh, um from the sticks and all that stuff, and I could put reflective patches and, and lights on them and everything to uh, see them uh, during the darkness because we chased foxes at night all the time or in, in the dark. Um, so between the two of those things, um, they they definitely helped us out uh, helped us out tremendously. This episode of A Life of Dogs is brought to you by Rex Specs Dog Goggles. Comfortable, stable, and dependable eye protection for your active dog. Not only do Rex Specs look great, but the lens, frame, and strap design offer a comfortable fit, large field of view, and stability needed to accommodate the most active dogs. Rex Specs Dog Goggles are rated UV 400 and have shatter-resistant lenses. They are used by police, military, and recommended by veterinarians across the country. Rexpecs are hands down the go-to eye protection for dogs. Whether your four-legged partner deploys from helicopters, sticks its head out the car window, or is an avid squirrel chaser, we've got you covered. If you're wearing sunglasses or eye protection, maybe your dog should be too. Rexpecs comes in six sizes to ensure they fit every pup from the five-pound chihuahua to heavyweights like Great Danes, Bernese Mountain Dogs, and more. Check them out on Instagram at rexpecsk9 or on the web at rexpecs.com. Royal Canin delivers precise nutritional solutions so your dog can perform at their very best level. To achieve a perfect balance of nutrients for each dog, they rely on an extensive network of canine experts from across the globe, including veterinarians, universities, dog professionals, and their own research and development center in France. Royal Canin helps your dogs train and perform at their full potential. To learn more about Royal Canin, visit them on the web at royalcanin.com. An airport can be a challenging environment to work in, even for people. For a dog, it can be downright intimidating. As such, Piper had to get used to some pretty noisy mechanical birds. He was good when we did that, uh, the test run in the beginning. Um, he was good with jets and propeller planes. Um, 
you know, again, not saying that he would be five feet from them, but it wasn't wasn't frightened of them. Helicopters, on the other hand, um, he he did not like at first. So we really had to slowly, just gradually move into that. Um, and but you know, I had to see that he was going to have the aptitude to at least attempt it with me, right? Um, when it came to the helicopters, he would just kind of hug in tight to me, but he wasn't like running away. So I, I could, I knew that if we worked at it and worked at it slowly enough and just showed him that, you know, it is okay to be here, um, that you, you belong here and it's not going to harm you, but we also need to set up a safe distance and everything, uh, that, that we could work at it. So I saw that, I saw that potential at least. Um, but if I hadn't seen that potential, um, then, you know, all, the whole thing would have been for nuts. Piper soon became accustomed to the sounds of airplanes and helicopters, so much that he often took rides in them and even got the chance to jump out of one. A lot of that stuff was, um, was all environmental training. And, um, you know, just like in humans, it's all about stress management. Um, how can you... Uh, manage the stress and then still do a job while you're under stress. Um, so that was the point of, of doing uh, that kind of stuff. So we had uh, a friend on the airfield that uh, took us up in a couple of different helicopters. Uh, we were fortunate enough to um, get approved by Coast Guard headquarters to take them up in a Coast Guard helicopter, um, which is really, um, really cool because being civilians, that's uh, extremely tough to do. Um, but it's just the experience of being being in the helicopter with different noise and vibrations with all the equipment on. He had his uh, earmuffs on at that time, too, so the specs, the buffs, the uh, the vest, um, going through totally different experiences, you know, elevation changes, all that stuff. It's a different noise inside the helicopter as it is outside the helicopter. Um, and we would also go out, and we did this um, plenty of times. The Coast Guard here... Um, we have an air station that um, obviously isn't doing rescues every single day, so they have to practice for that. And how they practice for that is by hiring somebody to go out on their boat, and they do hoisting practice off of this contract boat. And we were um, allowed to go out um, many times onto this contract boat. The reason we did that is, uh, again, it's a totally different environment for him, you know, with the waves. Um, the helicopter hovering above us, the rotor wash, uh, getting hit with that, and then the getting sprayed with the water, the basket banging on the the deck, um, and all these different noises and everything um, made him prepared for anything at at work. And the worst case scenario for us is that I drop dead out there, so I can't have him freaking out because he comes upon something he doesn't know about. Um, you know, so even though um, he's not going to be chasing geese or whatever out on a boat, it still gives him uh, confidence that he's been in a loud environment getting splashed with, you know, all this stuff that um, he can, he's just going to be more, a more confident dog. And that's, um, we, uh, the gentleman that donated his vest is a um, former um, Naval Special Warfare operator, and he used that vest on his dogs that he handled in the Navy. And um, it's called an aerial insertion vest for a reason because he would take his dogs into bad places and a lot of times the only way to do that was to uh, parachute in. So um, I had 
sent him an email um, a long time ago just uh, saying hi, and that's kind of what I did after, um, you know, Piper and I started is just, everything's about meeting people, right? And I uh, just figured I'd send him a message, not looking to get donated or anything. I just wanted to talk about, you know, handling dogs and, and his experience jumping with dogs. And um, so we just kind of hit it off from there. And uh, a couple of years later, um, I asked him, we were down at a charity event um, trying to help them out to raise money so they could invest more dogs. And uh, I asked him if he um, would consider taking Pipe up. And, um, you know, he, he had known Pipe. We'd, he'd been around Pipe quite a bit. And uh, he, he felt uh, um, confident enough to take Pipe up. You know, he didn't know, obviously, how Pipe You never know how a dog's going to handle jumping on an airplane. But um, something that I'm really proud of is that uh, Jimmy to this day says that Piper is the uh, the chillest dog he's ever jumped with uh, out of an airplane, which is, to me, saying something, because you're talking about uh, very, very highly trained uh, dogs that the uh, that they use in special operations. So uh, for Piper to be the most chill dog jumping out of an airplane is uh, pretty darn special for me. While working at the airport, Brian and Piper made some pretty cool friends. I uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be here talking to you if it weren't for the Coast Guard. Um, they had boasted about us. Uh, shortly after we started officially, a couple months after, and uh, that kind of launched us into, they have a very popular Facebook page. Uh, you know, a lot of news outlets follow it for rescues and, and that just news, right? And um, they had made a post about Piper, you know, since seeing his new dog at the airport. and that, um, So that kind of launched him into his first 15 minutes of fame and then, you know, kind of just tumbled from there. Um, by and large, uh, the Coast Guard has been our, our biggest supporter. Um, you know, we we go over in the, into the hangar a lot and, and hang out with uh, the men and women there. It was just really great. Um, we I still talk to and, and have many lifelong friends um, at the Coast Guard. Um, and he would beep up in and out of the offices up there, and you just hear, hey, pipe, hey, pipe, hey, pipe. Um, so that, that was really special. And uh, like I said, that the... Uh, it had to go all the way to Coast Guard headquarters to get him approved to fly in a helicopter, and it was approved. So I think that that right there, I mean, it's not about the helicopter ride, but it's just about the fact that people were willing to put themselves out there to write a letter to say, hey, can we get Piper up into a into a helicopter? It means a lot to us. And to have it go all the way to headquarters and get signed off uh, is, a, is pretty darn pretty darn special. And um, you know, we were fortunate enough to meet the Commandant of the Coast Guard a couple of times. Um and, you know, as after Piper had passed, uh, many, many messages from a lot of different people in the Coast Guard, uh, many of whom we've never met or just met through social media. Uh, the Commandant had posted about it. Um, a couple of admirals that we had met that had posted about it or sent us letters. Uh, so just very special uh, indeed and something that I, um, I will always cherish. The Coast Guard has a... Uh, a special place in, in my heart, and um, it was always uh, great for us to um, promote the Coast Guard in a sense that you know not we're not in the Coast Guard, uh, but you know what we work at an airport that they have an air base or excuse me an air station at, and here's the people that that do it. During the time that Brian and Piper had worked at the airport together, Piper had become fairly popular. But his popularity was about to hit an all-time high. I had posted a video of 
pipe when we were doing some of that environmental training we we talked about uh, in the wintertime with the Coast Guard helicopter passing behind him and he was getting hit with some uh, snowy rotor wash. Um, he had a cast on at that time because he had broken a, uh, a uh, toe deploying out of the vehicle. And, uh, you know, his fur is waving, the cast is kind of waving in the wind and everything. He, he just looks at the helicopter like, yeah, what, you know. And um, So anyways, I, I had posted that and uh, whatever it was, a week later, somebody um, had posted it on Reddit and it made the front page uh, number one on the front page and then I think it was uh, another picture of him with all of his uh, gear on made number four that day and you know that was that was it it went it went viral our website went down um, just got hugged to death and um, you know kind of the rest is the rest is history so uh, I still don't know who it was that that posted that uh, in June of that year we were on CBS evening news which was uh, which is a really great story. You know, just things here and there. It's been in a lot of kids, uh, like Scholastic, a lot of kids, um, educational um, magazines, you know, stuff that I used to read as a kid. And to now see, um, you know, my my dog in there. And I, I've got um, plenty of stories from teachers that have, that have contacted me saying, you know, they have a Piper's lesson. They, they use Piper somehow to integrate it into their into their stuff. I mean, all that, all that because of, um, really a Reddit post is pretty crazy. That Reddit post led to a huge social media following. Piper currently has over 30,000 Facebook followers and over a hundred thousand followers on Instagram. Yeah, man. You know, I, I just started all the social media stuff because I thought, uh, you know, love pipe and I love aviation. It's something unique. So I thought a few people might, might like it. And, you know, I, you can't make anything go viral. That wasn't the point of doing it anyways. Um, it just, it just happens. So, um, you know, I, I think I still have a screenshot on my phone from a few years ago, um, before we went viral, obviously that, um, from 4,000 followers. And I thought that was like an insane amount, you know, I was like, we're, we're never going to get to 5,000. You know, it's just so crazy. And then, um, you know, obviously, like you said, or hundred thousand later is, uh, is just, it's just insane. And I, I can't, I can't speak enough to, um, you know, how positive our community has been and, and his fans. Um, you know, obviously you're always going to get the haters. It's the internet. You can't avoid that. Um, but you know, 99.9 to the nth degree of, of, of it has been totally positive. And the way that people have really made a connection with, with Piper has been the, the biggest surprise for me. Um, you know, put a lot of time and effort into the social media, and I hope that really showed that it wasn't just posting, uh, you know, cell phone pictures um, with no captions and stuff, and really tried my um, best to respond to people, comments, emails, messages, and, you know, over the course of a couple of years, um, we've, we've had easily over a couple hundred visitors to the airport that would come and, and meet him, people flying in. We've come in on our days off and, and really made an effort to, uh, to make ourselves available. Uh, and again, all because of the dog and the connection that they made with this dog through either a phone or a monitor is just, it's pretty surreal. Piper's job wasn't always hard work. He often had the opportunity to have a little fun. Come on, Pipe, let's go, buddy. Every two years we get, uh, well, it alternates. You know, one year we'll get the Blue Angels. So on on even years we get the Blue Angels, and on 
odd years now we'll get the, the Thunderbirds. And so that was uh, last summer. And I don't know what leg it was, um, but the Air Force uh, gets a reserve unit to either fly in all their equipment or fly out the equipment. I can't remember if that was the in or the out leg. But um, anyways, yeah, that was, uh, you know, last year Piper was diagnosed with his, his cancer in uh, 2000. Uh, January of 2017, so I just made it my mission to just have fun. I mean, obviously do the job, um, but to just go out and have fun. And he just, he loved to run. Um, so what we would do a lot, um, and it started with um, a uh, a Delta Connection pilot. It was her birthday, and I said, hey, uh, when you guys taxi out, maybe we'll race you and see how we can do. And that's what uh, that's what started it all there. And um, we ended up having a lot of races. We had pilots, um, you know, messaging me and say, hey, we're going to be in such and such time. You guys are going to be there. We'd love to race, you know. And uh, so it just became something that we did for fun. It wasn't anything operational because, again, we're not going to be chasing something up or shooing up uh, birds that close to an aircraft. It was just strictly for fun. And um, so, yeah, that that C-17 was one of my favorites, but yeah, we've raced a, a C-17, uh, an A-10, a couple F-18s, uh, airliners, and, um, you know, it's, I mean, I say racing, it's just on the taxiway, it's obviously, they're not taking off, um, but it's, uh, it was always kind of, we've raced the Commandant of the, the Coast Guard, and I think he actually beat us, because it was a long day, and I was kind of feeling it that day, but anyways, um, you know, I had to kind of figure out when to let Piper out to kind of make it a race so a lot of times I would let him out behind the aircraft and then he would he would overtake him because when he was in a dead sprint like that he'd do about 25 miles an hour and um and I don't know if it was in that video but uh definitely a couple other ones he can you know I just kind of give him a couple of commands kind of like a jockey to get him to go a little bit faster and then when we passed him it was time to stop I'd just call him and he'd stop and come back to the truck um but you know like I said that was just just a lot of fun. And then you'd see whether it was in that C-17 or in, uh, you know, a passenger uh, commercial plane, I could see the people inside, whether, uh, you know, that C-17, the pilots were taking pictures or the passengers taking pictures or video of him, uh, of him racing. Then we'd stop and wave to people as they, as they uh, passed on. And obviously with the military guys like, like that, we'd trade patches and, um, I'd send them video or pictures of it or something, and then get a picture with the crew. And um, so it's just it's just a lot of fun. Sadly, at the age of nine, Piper's work at the airport ended on January third, two thousand eighteen, when he lost his battle with cancer. Piper's work didn't go unnoticed, and a memorial was held for him. Lots of people came to celebrate his life, while hundreds of others joined them online. There was uh, just over 300. Yeah, there's a couple of different counts that were inaccurate, but the the official count was just over 300 physical people there. And then uh, live streaming, I think we had a peak at over 700 at one point. So um, at one point, there was about a thousand people uh, watching live uh, his memorial. And then you know, it's been I posted a version of it on on YouTube. Um, stuff for, for people to see. And that was uh, that was just a, a really, really special day. You know, we, we made it an effort to, to become a part of the community because I, I didn't want to ever be, um, you know, just this dog that's behind
behind a, an airport, you know, the tall security fence and, you know, that you can never really, um, like kind of a zoo thing that you could just look from the outside and never really interact with. Um, I didn't want to be that, so we, we made it a point to uh, try to become a community member. We go to schools as much as uh, as much as we could, and as much as as uh, people asked us to. We do community events, meet and greets. Um, again, do a lot of stuff with the Coast Guard. Um, you know, they have Boy Scouts and, and whatnot there. Um, and so I think to say that you know we had. 300 physical people at his, at his memorial. Um, and I know a few people um, got in line at, at night. It was it was held at uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and um, people were starting to get in line at 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning because, you know, didn't know how many people were going to be there. They wanted to make sure that they were going to get a, a seat. So that's pretty crazy um, that, A, that many people showed up because, you know, obviously we have no idea. It could have been a thousand people. It could have been one person that showed up. You have no idea. But, uh, um, um, but not just at the memorial, but in big picture, uh, you know, as he passed and after he passed, just the the, old, the amount of support from the local community here and around the world has been straight up overwhelming. There's there's no other word to to describe it. U.S. Airways Flight 1549 left LaGuardia Airport in New York on January 15, 2009, bound for Charlotte, North Carolina. Soon after takeoff, it struck geese and consequently had to make an emergency landing in the Hudson River. Fortunately, no lives were lost in the miracle on the Hudson. Preventing situations like this is paramount in airline safety. Piper's work resulted in no bird strike incidents for three years at Cherry Capital Airport in Michigan. He touched many in his community and across the globe through his work and dedication as an airline safety ambassador. Piper will always be remembered as the Guardian of Guardians. Thanks once again for tuning in to this episode of A Life of Dogs. We hope you enjoyed the story of Piper, the airport canine. Let us know what you think of this episode by leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or on our website at alifeofdogs.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud, and be sure to stay tuned for the second part of this doubleheader called The Fearless Ones.